Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello, 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 and welcome to another fabulous week in the rearview with Drive Through HR, the Internet's longest-running HR radio talk show. I am your host, Crystal Miller, joined by, well, the other host, because it's Friday, and that's what we do. It's our host show where we talk about the week and our guests and what we talked about. Maybe we don't talk so much about our guests as much as what we discussed, although, I don't know, sometimes our guests are worth talking about. What do you think, Dwayne? Uh, well, I didn't have any guests on any shows this week, so... Uh, I really was here as a listener for most of the shows, um, but I thought they were all really good. I enjoyed listening to them, and I hope the rest of the audience did as well. So you heard it here, folks. Dwayne is a slacker. You need to give us some guests. I have guests. I just haven't, you know, I, again, as we talked about, I don't do live shows except for this one. So mm-hmm. I've got uh, a couple of shows that are waiting to be scheduled to be put out there. Uh, some really good stuff on recruiting, on agency searching, um, some technology stuff. So I'm hopeful we'll have room for those in the next couple of weeks. But I'm not a, you know, show hog. I don't have to have all of the slots to myself. I'm willing to share with my co-hosts because I'm a giver. <laughs> Most people like about me. You're a giver. All right. Well, Michael, what do you think? Um, I agree with Twain. No. <laughs> no. I, uh, actually, what I was just thinking about, what I was just thinking is that recently, since you guys came back into the hosting uh game it it's uh it's getting tighter and tighter on shows we uh were booked out through the end of june i had somebody reach out to me the other day and say could we do a show on june 4th and i'm like no 30th maybe so we we have a lot more content going live these days than than robin and i had managed to put out and uh that that's uh that that i hadn't really realized it until yesterday i guess and it was uh but yeah, it's it's kind of cool to kind of be back on a more active level. So I'm glad you guys are back. Um, and as far as Thank the week of guests, I I, I, did, I didn't get a chance to listen to to the show from Tuesday, so I can't really speak to that. Robin and I had a really interesting guest on on Wednesday, which was uh, was different. We'll talk about that in a couple minutes, I guess. But yeah, no, all 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 is all is well overall. So. Right on. Well, so maybe we're going to be catching up on who our guests were this week and what we all talked yeah. about. But, um, you know, I, before we get to that, and we, we totally should because I think there were some great conversations this week. Um, and for those of you who may be listening to this either live or um, later on download, you know, Fridays are a great way to kind of get the Reader's Digest version of the guests that we had for the week. Um, and then, you know, so if you missed it, you maybe you hear something on today's show that you're like, oh, I should go back and listen to this. So, um, that's part of it. But the other part is to talk about what's happening in the world of work throughout the week. So think of it as like the HR version of John Oliver's last week tonight, maybe without quite <laughs> so much wit because, you know, he's one of a kind. <laughs> but um, but on that note, Michael, I know there was something that you wanted to talk about. So I'm going to kick it over to you and we can maybe start with that. Yeah. So I saw, I saw this a couple places. Can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear us? Okay, my my phone is making a weird clicking noise, so I didn't know if I was live. Um, yeah, so there there was a so I used to live in Muncie, Indiana, which is kind of up in central Indiana, uh, north north of Indianapolis, and there's a city between Muncie and 
an NB that's no that's called Anderson, Indiana, and and a guy who uh, runs what is apparently kind of a family-owned candy and ice cream shop ran a job ad this week or maybe late last week, and he sort of he he did what a lot of people had seemed to be doing lately, which is not only did he run a job ad, uh, but he also posted this long rant about people and the kind of people he didn't want to hire. And, and I don't know if you had a chance to see the story or not, but the, the short version of the long rant was that basically he hires young women or men to, to scoop ice cream and sell candy. He pays them 11 bucks an hour, which, you know, is, I guess, okay. And, uh, but he didn't want to hire what he called uh, two, two categories of employees that he had, he had identified through his 40 years of, owning business, that these were the two bad, the, the two bad types of employees that he didn't want any of them to apply. The one he called splitters and the other he called pukers. So uh, before, before I go on with the story, Crystal, how, how does that work from an employee branding standpoint to, have, to not want pukers so, in your... Uh... <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, it, it makes me cringe, right? But I'm, I'm going to give you the general two, two trains of thought. So, you know, it's hit best practices in employer branding. Absolutely not. Probably not great for reputation management from the standpoint of employees. And Dwayne's over here shrugging. That's my take. And now I'm going to give you the, what, what I like to call the Craig Fisher school of thought, but it's, it's probably not originated with Craig, um, <laughs> which is, you know, all press is good press when you're looking at, um, looking at getting your name out there, you know, awareness is, is more than half the battle. Now, I don't, I don't think he gen, genuinely believes that all press is good press. We can ask him about it when he's on next. But, uh, but it's not talking about you. You can always shape the story later, but you have to get them talking about you first. So from that perspective, you know, this guy's doing, like, like you said, what a lot of people are doing right now, which is taking advantage of or trying to capitalize on virility. Right. And so one of the ways to get, you know, a viral post and Dwayne just gave me a look because virility is a a charged term, but it's it's the accurate term. Um, You know, this whole I'm going to take my stuff viral comes from um, the, the idea that you you say what people are really thinking and you're the every man or woman or person. And, and I'm just going to tell it like it is. And it's so refreshing that everyone's going to share it, right? Right. And I, I kind of feel like that's what this person's doing. Like maybe it was a rant. Maybe he felt better after he did it. But I think really it was probably just a, a cheap trip to go viral. Yeah, it could be. Uh, I mean, so the, having, the short version of – go ahead, Wayne. Go ahead. Oh, see, so having, having read through it, having seen what the guy posted, I, I don't know that I agree with that. I, I think it's a – this is charge. I'm an older guy. By older, I mean anybody older than me, um, <clears throat> who isn't super socially savvy. He's been running an ice cream shop for a long time. Hires a lot of young kids, and was it wasn't part of the job post. It was him talking about, you know, here's the problem I have with kids these days. Like they won't get off my lawn, and they play their rock and roll music too loud, and also young girls terrible and they fight and all of those things are true there are are whippersnappers on my lawn right now i'm sure um (laughs) but i don't know that this was an intentional move on this guy's part i think it was just 
he said something that people took offense to because they have kids who work there and who did those things. And so they assume he's talking to them. It's a little bit of that paranoia that tends to sneak into people when they, uh, when they feel like they're being attacked. Right. So I don't think this was a, I'm going to do this and get attention because the attention he got ain't what he wanted. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it was dumb. Like probably shouldn't do that. Yeah. It, it, uh, it brought out a few, uh, it brought out a few things. Uh, by the way, just to, just to finish that last thing, splitters to your point, Dwayne, were young women who argue, according to this guy with the intention of splitting group, a group of people who, would otherwise be happy to make themselves feel better. And pukers were pretty much people who just, you know, threw up any thought they had and, you know, offended everybody. So it was, you know, those, yeah. those, those stereotypes may exist in the workplace, but call, yeah, mm-hmm. calling them out. Yeah, anyway, so, so two things happened. One is the, the to your point, uh, both of you, the, the, the rant slash job posting went viral, was widely criticized, was eventually deleted as those things usually are followed up by a sort of initially sort of a self-mocking, well, we, we caused a little bit or a self-deprecating. We caused a little bit of controversy yesterday. Let's move on with life. And then later on a, a more heartfelt uh, sort of like, I didn't mean to do anything wrong. And I don't yeah. think I did half-ass apology. So he, <laughs> he, he, did, he definitely didn't get the, the sort of uh, attention he may or may not have been seeking. Um, it was a, a, mostly negative and, you know, but but what I thought was interesting was the uh, kind of throughout the threads that I saw where people were talking about this, there were a number of other candy and ice cream shops who jumped in, uh, including one that apparently is in Muncie that I'm unfamiliar with, but was a, a shop called the Queer Chocolatier who uh, who reached out on the on the thread and offered to talk to anybody uh, that may or may not want to work for that guy. <laughs> had previously worked for him. So they were, they were kind of trying to reach out to steal his, you know, the the folks he didn't want. And then, and then the second thing is it also, it also brought out previous employees, including one who claimed that he worked, the work environment was so bad that she became suicidal. Uh, You know, so it, 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 not only did he get, you know, ostracized a bit for his kind of rude post, but then later on it brought out all the bad, the bad stories behind it. So it was just overall, really dumb and it was uh like you said Wayne he's I think he's younger than I am older than you but younger than me so he doesn't have the business savvy apparently not to know not to do this (laughs) I mean uh, we're we're both we're both in our late 20s though Mike that's a pretty small window for this guy to fit into (laughs) that's true when you're 21 and I'm 22 that's right anyway right but given that we're both in our (laughs) 20s we know we know yeah no um, yeah, I, I agree. I think it was, I think it was a guy who just sort of was venting in the way that people do these days and, you know, probably reaped some unintended consequences, but it, it's just, it's unfortunate to, to see that. And, you know, all the signs in the windows of, you know, yeah. sorry for our slow service, but nobody wants to work in these days. And, you know, yeah. to your point, it's get off, get off my lawn a little bit in reverse yeah. almost for employers. So I, I just thought it was a, a good example of like mm-hmm. a dumb thing that, business people might not want to do it. It's not even really an HR issue yeah. at heart, you know? So I want to, yeah. I want to throw a, a thought out on this and, and I, not to turn this into a political show, even though everything apparently is political these days. Do, do you, do either of you think that what we've been through over the last few years in the political arena um, with 
with name calling and degradation of people you don't like and everybody's the enemy, that kind of thing. Do you think any of that has made, and I'm not going to say this guy specifically, but anybody feel that it's more okay to post this kind of stuff under the guise of, you know, straight talk and, and, you know, being an, an honest businessman who calls out the stuff he doesn't like and people dig that kind of thing now. Cause we know that there's an element of society that does that, that like mm-hmm. hears that buys in. So do you think that that's made this okay on any level for some people or am I drawing a, a false comparison there? Crystal. Oh, I was going to say, Michael, you go. <laughs> okay. So, um, so I'm from the non-orange-haired party, um, mostly, and spent most of the last four of the last five years daily kind of cringing, waiting to see what stuff would come flying out of whomever's mouth. Um, and I'm doing a lot of the same thing that I criticize those folks for. I do think that the last five years, both in the political and to some extent other parts of our lives where it's just sort of everything is raw, the pandemic, right? We talk about that all the time. That was certainly, um, you know, people changed a lot of things, but it didn't change the quality of discourse, probably made it worse. I do think that the, the politics enter just as they do in the workplace with masks. I mean, working for a retailer, we see this all the time. I've been reading stories about, you know, people pulling guns on, on store managers, not our, not, not at our, not, not at my employer, but at other chains, people pulling guns um, on store managers, telling them that they had to wear a mask in the store. I mean, life endangering stuff um, over something that is intended to help keep people alive. Right. I mean, it's just, we've, we've almost gone crazy. So I, I, I think this guy probably the same thing there, our filters are gone <laughs> apparently in, in a lot of ways. And it, it spills over into the workplace all the time in ways like this and, and many others. Well, I mean, that makes sense to me. I, I don't really know what the answer is. I don't, I don't know if one set into the other or not, um, or if we're just seeing a really sad evolution of humanity. Uh, I'm not going to get too far into it because it depresses me. <laughs> and I don't want to depress the show. But, but I will say that from an employment perspective, I think there's a balance that we have to strike between sharing the underlying message in this guy's post and, and not saying anything at all, right? Because when you strip away the, the brashness of his message, what he's talking about is is a combination of culture and workplace dignity, right? And so mm-hmm. except it's almost the reverse. He's not talking about the individual who's hiring, like in protecting their dignity, but rather protecting the dignity, the collective dignity of the other people that, that work in his business, right? which misguided in his attempt to do so is is actually – not a bad thing. The way he worded it, totally wrong. But but I think the heart of saying, like, hey, we, we want to be collaborative. We want to work together. We don't want the divisiveness. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just you need to make sure that if you're an employer and you're trying to impart that message, I would focus on um, what's called hooks in marketing versus 
what this guy's used is like is kind of counter hooks, um, which is by focusing on the negative. So focus on the positive and and what that gets them. So by you know, being friendly with each other by um, focusing on collaboration, by pointing out the best in each other, this is what happens, right? And I think when you're, you're messaging to younger workers, that's particularly important because every job post that they read, every employment experience that they have is modeling to them what employment looks like in the future or what they don't want to be when they grow up, right? So, you know... I think it's important, and we don't we don't pay enough attention to that as an industry. So it's hard to knock, um, you know, a small business owner for for not paying enough attention to it. When when granted, we as professionals in the HR, not we specifically, but the larger HR profession, doesn't pay it enough credence either. So whatever got us here, I think if we want to do better and be better, and I would hope that we all would. I think we have to start looking at how we message things and, and be more intentional about the impacts that those things have so, so that we can change. I am now off my soapbox. <laughs> the, 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 on our, on our, our show this week, Robin got on her soapbox. So that was interesting. We've been, this is soapbox week, I guess. Um, yeah, no. I've been I, wondering I think, why there's been so much soap laying around the studio. Now I understand it. Everybody's there, there. You on go. Boxes, flakes, and empty boxes of soap oh, flakes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> in the virtual studio. Um, I, you know, Crystal. I, I mean, I think your point is well taken. I mean, it's easy to criticize the guy and all that. Um, you know, he's not a professional HR pro- professional, nor is he a professional employee brander, nor anything else other than a guy who owns a shop where they scoop ice cream, which is probably complicated enough. Um, but his, yeah, the, the, you know, you take the high road or the low road. And, and I think that like, you know, posting a long rant that basically, especially focuses on one gender in a negative sense, you know, and then says, Oh, and guys never do this because they just duke it out. I mean, that might be plain and simple spoken language, but it's just like, it served no good purpose for him. Um, you know, whereas if he had talked about how, like, I really want to hire, to your point, I really want to hire people who are, you know, good team players and all the other vernacular that we use, you know, and here's, here's, here's why that matters. He could have accomplished a whole lot more. It wouldn't have gone viral probably, but it would have not impacted his brand in a negative sense. So, but we, it feels like a lot of times these days we take the low road. It's like, it's the easier way to go and people are empowered to do it. And I, I just, I don't get it. And I don't know well, how to fix it. So. Yeah. I mean, it's not only is it easier, we reward it right now. It's a weird yeah. kind of reward. Um, so, so I'm going to interject a parenting moment here. Um, parent slash child moment. When I was a kid, my dad would harp on me and talk about how like I really wanted attention, which is true. Um, and clearly still is, which is why I do things like this. Right. But, <laughs> Um, but here, you know, it's like, look, attention, the type of attention you get matters. And when you get to the point that you want attention so badly that you don't care whether it's positive or negative, it's time to stop, step back and think about why, what are you missing? What are you, well, what gap are you trying to fill? I can tell you six-year-old Crystal did not understand that advice. 30-year-old Crystal Mm -hmm. did fully understand that advice, but... But um, but it's good 
advice. And when we look at it from the context of employment advertising and even just employee communications, I think we have to look at that. You know, there was um, <laughs> there was a, a leader that uh, that was actually talking about uh, deficiencies in learning and development recently, and um, and the leader's advice was, well, if they don't get it, you just need to be harder on them, which is incredibly stupid. Like I'll just call it like it is. Like it's just a, that's a stupid thing to say. And I'm sure as soon as the person said it, they realized it was dumb. I would hope, but. You know, another leader that, that I've, I've worked with in the past um, in, a, in a job I was really happy to leave, <laughs> like, called employees assets like cars. And when one of them, you know, doesn't function correctly anymore, you don't spend a lot of time in the shop. You just trade it in for a new one. Mm-hmm. And I bring all of these things up because I think those are attention-seeking comments that we make out of frustration, not we specifically, but people make out of frustration, similar to this guy, looking for attention. He was looking for a response. He was probably looking for some here here's, right? But, but it's all misguided because even if you get that from some percentage of your audience, what you aren't going to get is the response that you need from your actual target audience. Like, there was not going to be a young kid that responded to that and was like, yeah, yeah, this is great. Girl, fuck. I'm going to go work for the ice cream guy. That's right. That was going to go down. So, you know, you, you can't tell your employees, if you don't get it, I just need to be sterner with you. Any employee at any level and expect them to be like, you're a great leader. You get it. I'm inspired by you. It's not going to happen. You can't, you can't call your employees assets and then wonder why they're not loyal to you. Or sorry, like as of like cars and treat them like products and then wonder why they're not loyal. Like it doesn't, you may find someone who's willing to sympathize with you, but your message is going to get totally lost. I'm getting a look like I'm taking us off track. <laughs> no, no, I was, I just feel like this is the right place to interject Hanlon's razor. Okay. So Hanlon's razor, as opposed to Occam's razor, Occam's razor is the simplest explanation is usually the right one. Hanlon's razor is never attribute to malice that which can be adequately explained by stupidity. Okay. So I, I, I know which leaders you're talking about. Um, and this, the idea that, um, you know, this was any kind of, like, I'm going to get some attention. I'm going to get, like, I don't, I don't know that I buy that. I, I don't know the guy. You could be right. But it also could be like, he's just a dude who doesn't know any better and did something stupid. The idea that, you know, you've got a leader who says if, if people aren't, you know, if our training programs aren't working, then we need to speak more sternly to the people so that they do learn. Like, I think that's just stupidity. That's not malice. It speaks to a leader's ability. But, but I think that's just, like, this is a dumb thing to say because I don't know anybody who thinks that would work. And what's fascinating to me, and, Michael, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, too, is, like, some of the smartest people in the world make the stupidest comments. Yeah. Right. I am sure Bill Gates is sitting around thinking about several stupid things he's said and done. Right. Is it a point of fact? But, you know, like um, yeah. smart people yeah. can do and say stupid things. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> more likely to get away with it, though. Uh, you know, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, you Tesla guy, Bill Gates, you know, you could yeah, billionaires. Right. Uh, they can say pretty much anything they want. It won't matter. But, yeah, but Gates has been, you know, has. I don't know. Also, the choices of friends in some cases are not good. I, I, I think, um, 
I think I think I'm I'm run out on that crystal. I think that you know yeah this I, I tend to agree with Dwayne. I do think this was probably a dose of unwitting stupidity and just he kind of blundered into it and we'll live with it for a while and it won't hurt him bad. But um, there there are ways to do better, I guess. And hopefully any, anybody that listens to us share our wise opinions will realize that before they write such a rant. Uh, we have about six <laughs> well, I have to left. admit I hadn't talk- seen it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But I have to admit, I hadn't seen that particular article um, or that advertisement like before the show, right? You you sent it over just before our show, and yeah. said, you know, we talk about this, which I think is great. That's always a great thing. I did the homework. He, he did do the homework. I was in the middle of work stuff, so I did not do the homework. So I'll have to take your words on <laughs> it. But but it does coincide with another ice cream shop that I wanted to bring up before we talked about our guests, and we're getting okay. close to the halfway point on our show. So, um, you know, we'll do a reset, a quick reset here. If you're just now joining us, you are listening to drive through HR and at drive through HR, we talk about a lot of things. Really the purpose of the show is what's keeping you up at night, except for on Fridays when the hosts, Michael Vandervoort, Robin schooling, Dwayne lay and myself, Crystal Miller lay sit around and talk about the guests that uh, like what we talked about with guests this week and anything that might be on our mind. So it's, another dose of irreverency, but it's, it's a little bit different. So um, if you're wondering why the format's different today, that would be why. Hmm. Glad you can join us. Um, the other ice cream shop. So <laughs> I was part of a conversation this week, and um, somebody had shared something, and I couldn't go back and find it. I tried really hard, um, which now means someone will find it by just doing the most basic of Google searches because that's the way the world works. But this ice cream shop had upped their pay to like 15 or $18 an hour or something like that. And people were like, that's ridiculous, and you're going to have to raise all of your prices and all of the arguments that people typically make when we talk about the, con- uh, the topic of living wage. And what I thought was really interesting was the conversation that was happening, and there were a few of them about the same article, but the one that I was referring to was the HR professionals were the most against raising the wages. It wasn't the business owners. It wasn't the customers. It was the professionals that had a problem with increasing the wages up to what would be a livable wage. And the argument was jobs like ice cream scoopers and customer service people are not meant to be served by full-fledged adults. And I don't know if they mean like, <laughs> what did you go back and ask? Like, does that mean like when their brain stops forming? Like, what's a full-fledged adult? Do I count as one? <laughs> you know? And, and, and Dwayne's sitting here making a face that tells me I do not. But um, <clears throat> I thought that was really interesting and, and totally not what I expected. I really thought it would be the people who, you know, are supposed to be dealing with people would be the most um, strongly advocating for it, but they weren't. And and I'm curious from your perspective, Michael, like I know you've done a lot with um, unions and with HR people and, and living wage has probably been a topic that you've batted around more times than, than I have. Like, what is your take on this? Like, have you seen that before? Does that feel right to you? I had, so, uh, sorry, I had a little bit of technical difficulty with my headset here. I switched headsets, so I missed a little bit about what you were getting, but I think I got the gist of it, or what you were saying, but I think I got the gist of it. So I think that there are... Um, huh. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to say there's two things. So I think. So I'm not. I'm actually not shocked that HR people are 
somewhat opposed to raising wages, um, but not not for the reasons that you might think. Um, the, the the idea of raising wages, you know, you would think that would outside of outside of the uh, financial offices, especially in this in this uh, economy and with the difficulty of that we're that we're having hiring people, you'd think that raising wages would be something that HR people would would be advocating for in order to recruit. And we and we certainly are seeing our share of companies, um, some of the outliers in the fast food industry and um, Chipotle raised their their starting wage to $15 an hour a week or so ago. And Bank of America, I saw, mm-hmm. raised their their, raise, their wage to $25 an hour, which I, I, I that kind of made my head explode. Not that it's wrong, but it just seemed like a really um, significant number far above the market in other industries. But, I, you know, when you think about it, well, it's kind of I, tell, well, I, I think it's worth noting on that Bank of America thing, like they're not doing it immediately. It's over the next few years, which whenever I hear we're going to make this massive change over the next few years, it always strikes me as a, we're making a PR push on this. and We're hoping you forget about it before that deadline comes. I may be right. <laughs> but yeah, so, well, and that's like the state of Florida, you know, the minimum wage will go up to $15 here through a, through a constitutional amendment, but it won't happen completely until mm-hmm. 2026. It's phased in. I mean, so a lot of these right. things are, you know, they're 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 notional, but they're 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 going in what I think I would view as the right direction. I mean, I think that the 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 wage the the level of wages in the U.S. has been artificially depressed for years, um, and you know, I, and I think the the pandemic and the economy and just the way things have shifted in the last year and a half is finally bringing forth what economists have been saying probably would happen for a number of years, but business has sort of been able to, to, to repress that overall. Um, and I don't mean yeah. like in some big conspiracy way, just, just it, the, the market didn't drive it, but it is now. And, and they don't really have a choice. Um, however, from the HR perspective, um, I suspect that a lot of the resistance from the HR leaders is they're probably okay with raising the minimum wage Mm-hmm. And but but they know they know there's going to be huge issues with raising the, everybody's wages to to compensate. Right. So I think they're dreading the fear of you know wage compression and all the equity and inequity issues that are going to develop as you press the bottom up and may not have the overall wherewithal to raise the top at the same time commensurately. And I think that's where may that may be where a lot of the angst comes in crystal that's that's just my guess it but it, it yeah. so, uh, so i mean there's some school of thought crazy, that it, go ahead oh, Drink, sorry i was gonna say there's there's a, there's some level of thought on that though that when you talk about the the compression piece and not being able to keep up the wages at the top well what's the top take a very traditional structure where you have individual contributors managers directors vice presidents and then c-level right What's the top that we're worried mm-hmm. about? It's, it's probably not the ICs, um, probably not managers, maybe directors, probably VPs, definitely C-suite. And, and at some level, I think people will say, yeah, I don't really care about the C-suite not getting bumped up to match what the ICs bump is looking like, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm not going to say C-suites are always overpaid, you know, but they're certainly high on the scale, 
and they probably don't need to be bumped, you know, 100% like those going from 750 to 15. So there's some of that that it's, uh, yeah, we're <laughs> at, the, at the risk of sounding like a socialist. Yeah, yeah, we're redistributing the wealth a little bit from those at the top mm-hmm. to those throughout. And, but at the same time, I think economically studies have shown us that, like, trickle-down doesn't work. But raising the, um, raising the funds available to the lower income, so to speak, um, raises all ships. Because if you give a CEO $1,000, like, it goes in the bank and sits with the rest of their money, generally speaking, and doesn't really help. If you give $1,000 to your entry-level people, uh, that money goes right back into the economy because they need it. They have to spend it. Um, or, you know, God forbid, they're able to save some and have a cushion for themselves. But all mm-hmm. of those things. Like to me, it's much more impactful when you're taking the people who are lower on the scale and and providing them with some financial benefits and improvements. I think that that's just my opinion. Like, I think that's good for society. It's good for businesses. It's good for everyone, except the people who are already at the top, and they're probably okay either way. That's just my opinion. I yeah, it, it, Wayne, I'm talking more like hourly worker right so that okay. you know if you do, if you go if you go as chipotle did you, you know you go from starting people at 11 or whatever the number was and i don't know what it was but let's just say it was 11 yeah. bucks and now you're literally going to bump it up to 15 dollars an hour for people who start you know next week yeah. right all now you have you know Dwayne walks in the door next monday and he's making 15 bucks an hour because that's the new minimum starting rate and I'm line mm-hmm. cook Michael, and I've been at Chipotle for two years, and I'm making thirteen dollars and eighty-five cents an hour because I'm still on the old pay scale. And you know, they they may or may not have bumped, you know, every, to my point, everybody commensurately, everybody. right? Or or I've been at Chipotle for ten years, and I'm making seventeen fifty an hour, which was six dollars and fifty cents more an hour than the newbie a week ago, and now it's two two and a half, right? So there's a there's a whole set of I, I think that's where the rub is and I that's kind of what I was driving at specifically for for the HR people with angst over this there there's not a quick fix for that unless you're willing to uh, enhance your entire pay scale and I don't see that yeah. necessarily I'm not observing that so I you know I think there's right. some unintended consequences that HR people fear um, it'll it'll sort itself out over time but it's going to cause you know, a lot of heartburn in a, in a lot of different ways in the short-term horizon, I think. So, anyway, that's that's more what I was talking about by the top rather than the CEOs or the supervisors. There are certainly other issues there as well, but um, they're, 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 to your point, Dwayne, I think they're a bit different. Makes sense. So, I'm going to move us over to our guests for this week, and I'd like to kick it off with your guest, Michael, if that's okay. Uh, You want to talk about what you guys talked about? Okay. It was – I don't know if you saw the uh, the, the, uh, post that Robin put up, you know, sharing the the link to the show. Our guest was a woman named Kendra Holliday who lives somewhere in St. Louis, so she's, you know, your, your metropolitan region neighbor. And uh, she is is a intimacy coach and sex surrogate. So she literally is somebody who works with um, individual clients on a one-on-one basis uh, to help them with issues that they may be experiencing in their relationship, um, either you know intimacy-wise uh, from a 
from a headspace issue or or a self-confidence issue or in some cases physical you know physical issues that that she seeks to help them with and we had a we had a and robin's post was this is the only guest out of the 1500 plus episodes uh, that we've done of drive through hr that we know of where we can point to the guest and say she was interviewed uh, by drive through HR and Hustler Magazine. So that was uh, <laughs> point. Uh, the point. Uh, and I have to say, you know, and I'm like, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad. I mean, um, I, actually, I, I arranged the I arranged the guest. Um, I thought it was, you know, it was kind of, we, so we had a discussion about like what she did and how she does it um, in terms of, you know, talking to the clients and kind of understanding their issues and working with people and how she made a switch, uh, uh, the, the a couple of interesting minor points, you know, I want to repeat the whole 45-minute uh, episode, but Kendra was, uh, she was blogging anonymously about her sex uh, life uh, back in 2010 and was working at a nonprofit organization in St. Louis. I have no idea who it was. It doesn't matter. She was outed inadvertently um, and was fired by the nonprofit you know, over grave concerns about how her sex blog uh, might impact their their organization. So she was like, oh, and, and to use her word, she became a pariah, an unemployable pariah in St. Louis because of the media notoriety for a good two or three years until she was ultimately hired by a, by a, uh, a company that does laboratory work and worked there for four or five years. And then um, after some conversations with her life partner uh, she decided to launch this uh, her career as a sex surrogate and an intimacy coach back in 2015 and she said it was uh, you know the greatest decision of her life she loves what she does um, she 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 knows it's different and controversial to a lot of people but you know she she's she's very happy she she's uh, making more money than she ever made in her life and feels very fulfilled uh, and I don't mean any of that was upon it, upon attached to it. I mean, I'm talking from yeah. a career perspective, best, best move she ever made basically. And so we talked about, you know, we talked about like her approach to intaking clients. We talked about, um, we talked about her safety and security. We talked about the stigma attached to sex work and, you know, how that, how that works. And so it was, it was a, obviously a much different conversation than, you know, our nerdy chat about the ice cream guy any of the ice cream people, um, but it was pretty, it was pretty interesting. It was, and it, it, it's definitely, you know, if, if you're not offended by, um, cause there's nothing in there that's really, you know, we didn't, we didn't do anything to, you know, try to exploit or, you know, make, make any kind of jokes or anything, or, you know, be, just be, uh, titillated. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I, this, this, this wasn't an exploitation interview. This was a really interesting discussion about somebody who does work that not everybody does, but it, it, it's a bigger industry than we think of. And, you know, I, I think there were some interesting conversations to explore around the edges of that world. And uh, it's a lot of fun yeah. to do the interview and talk to Kendra. So that, that, that's, that's more or less the, the, the guess. She was great, very articulate. You know, it never, it never ceases to amaze me that this, this, the stigma attached to sex work, like it's, it's something that's so common and so natural, not sex work necessarily, but just sex in general, like everybody's involved in it. Like if nothing else is coming from it, um, there's like, it's a, it's a part of the human condition. And yet, like to your point, like you feel the need and, and I understand it clearly to, to talk about like, yeah, we weren't 
like this wasn't funny. This wasn't a joke. This wasn't something we were trying to make a big, like it's, it's interesting work and a smart person that we want to talk to, but mm-hmm. you have to keep making that justification of, you know, and, and the idea that like somebody's like side hustle or even just their hobby, like basically kept them from having a job for years is crazy. Like my hometown is, is, you know, fractured racially at times and, and a little backwards, but like, it's it's just insane to me to think that somebody pays that kind of a price for for having that kind of an interest for something that's completely natural. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's weird. Mm-hmm. So, right on. Well, I'm sure people got that one downloaded and uh, and have a chance hmm. to listen to it. It was a great show. Uh, we also had Crystal. You had a show with Martin this week. I did. Martin Burns. It was great having him on. Um, I love Martin because he talks almost well, maybe more. Um, almost as fast, if not faster than I do. <laughs> but beyond that, he's just so sharp. And so one of the things that I like about Martin is he's, he's able to take a lot of, of information and, and distill it into um, quick and actionable ideas and thoughts, right? So he can make sense of it, and he can help you realize what to do with it. It's one of the reasons I enjoy Recruiting News Network, which is the, um, the publication of which he's a, for which he's an editor. Um, but it's, it's also what makes talking with him fun. And so we talked about post pandemic, uh, predictions, right? So what is the, what does the world of work look like following the pandemic? This is a topic that is already starting to, um, to be played everywhere and will be ad nauseum. I probably within a matter of minutes, but, but it was a really great conversation. And, and one of the things that we talked about was really, you know, treatment of workers and, and kind of what that looks like and how do you get, people to continue to work for you. And, and that leads into, you know, something that everyone is, is um, almost everyone is feeling right now. If you are involved in hiring um, or managing people, which is the labor shortage. And so it was a great conversation. Um, I, I would highly recommend that you give it a listen, but, you know, I think the labor shortage is an interesting thing to talk about between the three of us as well, because it's such top of my, it's such a top of mind topic. Um, you know, one of the things that the conversations that I feel like I'm having on repeat lately is like, well, what do we do when sign on bonuses don't work? Right. Because a lot of, a lot of companies are offering sign on bonuses right now and they're not as effective as they used to be. And, mm-hmm. and I think there's several reasons for that, but I wonder if part of it is, and I don't have data to support this. If somebody does, please share. I'd love to see it. Um, but I wonder if part of it is because when everybody's doing something, it's, it gets lost, right? It's that whole, if everybody's special, no one is. Well, if, you know, there's too many sign-on bonuses floating around out there, that's, that's not a, an exploitation of a gap at that point. It's just doing what everybody else does. But the argument that I keep hearing back is, well, but if we don't do it, like what happens if we don't do it, then we won't be considered, can, can I throw in some advice for the people who think that? Go read Moneyball. That's it. Go read Moneyball. So you want me to say more? Okay, I'm getting the look. I'm like, keep talking, which I'm happy to do. So Moneyball I was, is I wasn't about, giving you like, the look, but I was wondering where you were going because I haven't read Moneyball. So. So, so, so Moneyball, the book, not the movie, is all about um, finding advantages in underserved markets or underserved skills. Right. So Oakland. Um, so this is a, this is about the Oakland A's and about Billy Bean. 
um, they really use statistical analysis to get ahead in baseball. And what they realize is we don't have the money to compete with everybody else. We can't throw giant wads of cash at free agents try to get them. Instead, what they had to do is recognize what skills were undervalued and how do they get those players and how do they build their team using undervalued um, people, right? And so it's a similar kind of thought to me, like, okay, everybody does, you know, everybody throws money at free agents. Everybody does a signing bonus. Fine. Instead of, like, doing the same thing as everybody else and hoping to survive, like, take the time to think about what's underserved for the employment market. What do they need? So, so Crystal, I, in your conversation this morning with, with someone, um, there were a couple of really interesting ideas that you had thrown out there. The idea of, you know, hey, we're going to set you up on a vacation after your first six months, Right. And if you compare the cost of a sign-on bonus that's big enough to get people interested versus, hey, after six months, we're going to give you a week's paid vacation and we're going to pay for the hotel so you can take your family there. Like, to me, if you're asking which employer cares more about you and your family, it might be the same price tag. But you're actually doing something that's going to impact my family in a different way. Like, that's interesting. It doesn't cost anymore. But it's finding that underserved piece of the market that not everyone is doing. Yeah, and so what you're what you're talking about? And that wasn't quite what was offered, but but it's definitely the presentation. Go read Go read But but um, what you're talking about essentially is just a basic mar- marketing principle of finding the gap, like what's going to to draw eyeballs, what's going to draw attention. And so in that specific example that you gave, um, you know, that's really just taking it's a conversion of a um, traffic incentive that used to be put out for construction um, back in the early 2000s we would offer uh, like drive vacations they were called drive vacations because it was something within four hours or whatever and there's all these locations that you can choose from but no airfare was included right so it was a five or six hundred dollar package that you could say it was valued at twenty five hundred dollars and it would get people in the door to come buy a home and it converted really well. And so back in the what 2005 to 2010 era, the aughts, mm. it's so weird to say, I still think of the early 1900s when we say the aughts. So like, I can't do that. Um, but, but in the aughts, we, um, we converted it over to recruiting and started using it with executive staffing as a, as a thank you for considering this role and, and, getting a new job, like here, you know, after your first, whatever your replacement guarantee period was, you could, you know, it would be like, after you've been in the job for whatever that guarantee is, and that's expired, like here, we're going to give you this vacation package so that you can like take a weekend. And it was the long weekend self, right? It was great. The number of job orders you'd get off of that was insane. So if you're in staffing, totally something to try a $600 uh, vacation package for a thirty or forty or fifty thousand dollar placement is totally worth the investment because those guys turn around and gals turn around and give you new jobs. But um, yeah. so we we huh. then in in like two thousand and eleven and twelve when the the economy was starting to come back we applied the same concept to recruitment marketing, and so the idea of finding what everyone else isn't offering and offering that as a way to convert your your quote-unquote traffic in this case your candidates is really just basic marketing um for that to work right now you have to look at 
what are people driving at? And, and to that end, next week, we're going to have Robin Erickson on the show. Um, she is the principal research analyst with the conference board and um, has just finished up some research on post-pandemic employment. Or like, uh, sorry, pandemic employment. In fact, I can tell you the exact title is The Reimagined Workplace a Year Later. So we'll be talking through that research report. We will be sharing it out on the drive through HR channels. So you can pick up a copy of that report there as well. Um, but one of the things that we were talking about is actually, like, what do people care about? What, what's driving them? And so you need to know that, you know, how, are the, how the different areas have shifted for your employee group so that you know what to market. And I would, I would recommend to anyone who's considering something like this that you base it off of the areas that need, that need some love, that need some help. So, for example, if your organization has seen a decrease of vacation days used, then you're probably also seeing a decrease in employee perception of work-life balance. And so I would make your incentives for um, – Dwayne is laughing. I can't wait to hear why. I, but I, I would make your incentives – for your employee referral program, which I always think that some incentives there is a good thing, um, around things that would allow to help improve work-life balance. And then that gives you a change story as well as what you're doing for new candidates. Otherwise, to the point of the conversation that I was having, the leader that I was talking to was like, yeah, but if we're not offering that to our employees as well, don't they just get upset because they're working all of these long days and new people coming in are getting built-in vacations. And I think that's a fair point. So, you know, when you're looking at what do your candidates care about, don't forget your employees as well. That was a really long rant, but that's kind of where I'm at today. I was just laughing about the idea <laughs> that um, people aren't taking their vacation, so they may not feel like they have good work-life balance. What a great opportunity to offer them more vacation days because they're not taking them anyway, but they'll feel like you're giving more balance because you've given them another week of vacation they can't take. <laughs> to go places that they haven't been able to go and so on and so on. Yeah, it's uh, – so I have an even more basic uh, – it's not as basic as go read Moneyball, but it's more basic than what you're talking about, Crystal, which is incentives. Um, I've been in a – I've been working on a, on a project, and I can't go into a lot of the details just because they're proprietary stuff, but a couple of high-level thoughts from the project, which was related to attrition amongst trainees in our distribution centers. Uh, so these are – fast-paced, select your jobs, you know, you work hard, they're paid, they're incentive paid, um, so you can make a ton of money, uh, but, you you know, you're running eight, ten hours a day. Um, we had we had a bunch of things that we looked at and wound up making changes on because what, I guess the overall discovery that we had was we, have, we, were, we tend to be very conservative in how we do job postings and what we describe. We try to be very transparent, but that leads to some rather stark things that say like work on, working under strict time guidelines, you know, things that can be scary and not attractive when you read them as a job seeker perhaps. We also posted the minimum wage rather than the scale. Um, and anyway, long story short, we did a bunch of analysis of the, of the compensation in the in the market that we were specifically focused on, which was in Atlanta, and um, all these other distribution companies were advertising signing bonuses and pay up to et cetera, you know, some rate, pick a number, twenty four dollars an hour, thirty dollars an hour, 
and we were advertising like under 17 start rate. Um, when we went back and looked at our, our pay system, we actually have the best pay system in that market because we have an uncapped system. So you can earn 150% of your rate on an hourly basis if you can work fast. Um, and so we simply shifted our the information you're sharing. And we immediately went from having the lowest published starting pay, which was our minimum wage, to the highest. Just by changing the focus of the way we wrote the ad, we had – we, we had been reluctant in the past to post the higher earnings because not everyone can attain it. Um, mm-hmm. But we realized, it, we, we realized in our audits of the other companies, that's what they were doing, right? So, we, you know, we were being conservative in, in, in the information we were sharing, sharing about our job opportunities. And so now we've kind of moved into, the, into sharing the same information from the same level as the rest of our competitors. And that immediately took us from the bottom of the heap on that single data point to the top of the heat, just by telling a, a different story. And there were a few other changes like that um, that we made. Um, so we weren't, we weren't sharing our full story. Uh, and, and now we will be in, you know, we still have to test this theory, but we expect that that will generate uh, a, better, a better result than we've been getting recently from our, our applicant pool and from our, our, you know, people that we have to choose to hire from because we, we've, we figured out we need to be telling the, the positives and not trying to make sure that they knew what the minimums were, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. And, gosh, what a great, what a great um, case study, <laughs> I think, for people to, to hear right now. Um, what advice? We've got about – seven minutes left in the show. I mean, when we look at the labor shortage right now and, and the, the pain I think that employers are feeling, what advice would you give to them around um, being seen and being heard? Anything else? Hmm. I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, again, in our case, you know, brand reputation has carried us a long way, um, but it's not enough now. So you either need to tell your story harder and heavier, more differently, more frequently. I'm not sure exactly what thinking about there. We 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 may have been resting on our laurels a little bit, and so I think uh, you know we're kind of waking up to like yeah we need to go back and sort of reinvigorate ourselves from that perspective. Um, the the interesting thing is we had a number of like referrals and other things, you know, signing bonuses up on the, up on the table. Um, but we were concerned about how, if we started hiring people, going back to my theory on raising the wage and HR angst, we were concerned about how the people who stuck with us would feel if all of a sudden, you know, new guy coming in the door is getting a, you know, getting a bonus and they're going to say, where's mine. Um, so we kind of, we, we, we decided not to go down that route, which, you know, looks easy and it looks cool. But, you know, I think we believe in working our culture harder and trying to make sure that people know once they get in here, they have a career, not just a job, that kind of thing. So that's kind of the direction that we're going to focus on. Okay. That makes sense to me. Dwayne, what about you? I think you've got a really interesting perspective as a hiring manager, you know, and, and a leader, you know, what challenges do you have that maybe our HR audience 
can can be thinking about because their hiring managers and leaders probably have the same thing. Like, what are you dealing with right now? Um, I think the biggest challenge, and, and this isn't anything new, right? So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna blow anybody's socks off with this, but I still think the biggest challenge we have as as hiring ramps up is how do you get people in the door and make them successful quickly? Um, how do you teach them what they need? How do you support them? How do you make sure that they feel included? Um, I've got examples from talking to people in the recent past about very um, uneven um, onboarding processes. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had one person who, uh, who I know who took a job that she was very excited about, um, found out very quickly that some of the new hires that came at the same time, like got a call from leadership and talked and made sure they understood all they were doing, like this person didn't. And so, like, when you apply those things in an uneven way, it's a very demotivating piece for those new people. Uh, there were a couple other mm-hmm. things, and, and she left that job after, like, a month um, just by, by getting to know the culture and the leaders a little bit. So, so those, to me, are still the thing. Like, there's, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. It's like, how do you get people in the door? And, frankly, like, Crystal, that's, that's more your area than mine. Um, I think about once they get in the door, how do you how do you get them productive and make them feel like they're where they belong? Yeah. And that's not a new challenge, um, but I think that the more we ramp up, uh, and especially as salaries are going up and, and the hourly wages are going up, knowing that you can go anyplace else and get comparatively good money, um, I think that there's going to be a little bit of people are conditioned to looking at like 8 to $10 an hour. And then when they're offered 15, because that's going to be the new minimum basically across the board, um, they're going to feel like I can get this money anywhere. And it, in, instead of people leaving for a quarter or 50 cents an hour, which we've seen in the past, like people will leave for no change because it's still more money than they've made in the past. Um, so we've got to be even tighter when it comes to how we treat our new employees, how we onboard them, how we make sure that they feel welcome and supported from day one. And I think that's going to be a, a bigger challenge than we've talked about. Fair or fair, onboarding is such a critical topic. We need to get someone on to talk about that soon, I think. Um, I mean, to your point, it's always important, but when you do have that tight labor market and people have the ability to go someone somewhere else, they're not going to put up with nonsense that doesn't fit their values. That if your working reality is too far off from what you've advertised and marketed in your um, top of funnel phase, like they're not going to stick around. They don't need to. That's my thought. Any, any final thoughts, Agreed. Michael? And then I think we're going to wrap it up. Um, actually, I'm, I got to get on to the next thing, Crystal. So I'm going to call it, I'm going <laughs> to say no, I agree with, I agree largely with what you guys said. Um, I don't have much to add. So thanks for, uh, Good to, good to finally get on a host show with you guys, and uh, have yeah. a great Memorial Day weekend. You too. Thanks, you too. We've got a great lineup next week, folks. Uh, hope you join us then. Enjoy the holiday, and we'll, we'll talk to you next week. Another blog talk, drive through HR show in the can. And, of course, it's ended with a blunder because why not? Have a great week, everybody.